Our reading today is Luke chapter 6, verses 36 to 49, and you'll find it on page 862 of the Church Bibles, or um, there's a link underneath YouTube. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good measure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he was like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears does not do them. It's like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Thank you very much, Ruth. And please do keep that passage open in front of you. It's a massive help to me if you can actually see the words of Jesus while I'm preaching. Check if what I'm saying is what he is saying. Let me pray for God's help as we turn to his word. Our Father in heaven, you tell us in the Bible that as human beings, we have a massive capacity for spiritual blindness. We can be blind to what we are like. We can be blind to what you are like. And we can be blind to the change that's needed when you speak to us. And so we pray now that you would work by your Holy Spirit in our hearts. We pray his life-giving sight-giving power 
would be at work amongst us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have a massively important passage to look at this morning. It's hard to overstate how relevant it is to this particular group of people um, sitting here this morning. In fact, I can't think of a passage that's more directly relevant to a gathering in church that's listening to a sermon. Over the last three weeks in Luke, we've been hearing Jesus preaching, a crowd assembled, and that happens back in verse 17 of chapter 6, and he's been teaching them. And it really is like a typical Sunday morning in church. That is, it's a mixture of people. It's, It's a whole load of his followers and some people listening in, kind of curious folk um, just listening in. Like a typical Sunday morning, we are hearing Jesus' words. They were live. We are, as we hear his words recorded here in Luke's Gospel. So far in the sermon, uh, Jesus from verse 20, that's where it starts, he set some expectations for his disciples, verses 20 to 26. And it's not all going to be um, kind of strawberries and cream in the Christian life. It's going to be hard, he says. He's taught some ethics to his disciples, verses 27 to 42. Uh, radical, generous, gracious love to enemies. And now we're going to see some evidence of what a true disciple of Jesus, a true follower of Jesus looks like. We're going to get to the kind of climax of the sermon, the, the, the final question, which is basically, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with my words, says Jesus? And the reason why I say that couldn't be more relevant to us here in church listening is because we have heard the teaching of Jesus. We have gathered and heard what he has to say. And yet Jesus is going to challenge us about our response. And the sobering thing is that in the final verses of the passage, we're doing 43 to 49 today, in the final verses, Jesus is going to draw a dividing line through the crowd. He's going to say, of those who are listening, some of you will be utterly, utterly safe. Safe from the storms of life. Safe from God's judgment to come. Rock solid, secure. And others will be desperately, terribly insecure. They'll be building their lives in a way that will collapse when the storms come. And I think the really sobering thing, as I've reflected on this passage, the sobering thing, the shocking thing really, about the dividing line that Jesus is drawing is that it's not the line between those of us who are in church and the thousands of people in Scotland who are not in church today. It's not the line between those of us who are in churches versus those who are in mosques and temples. Jesus does draw those lines, but not here. In fact, it's not even the line between churches that teach the Bible, like we try to do here, and churches that do not do that, as we were praying for earlier. No, the dividing line that Jesus is drawing runs right through the crowd that listens to his words. You see the significance of that? He draws a dividing line through a Bible-hearing crowd, precisely through a church like Traumas. Just look at it with me. Look at verse 47 and 49. It's this famous story of the, the wise and foolish builders And later we're going to come back to it and spot the differences 
But right now, I just want you to notice what these two builders have in common. Verse 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation. There's the wise builder. He came to Jesus, he heard Jesus' words, and he does them. Solid foundation for life. But just look at what the foolish builder in verse 49 has in common with this guy. Verse 49, the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. That first phrase is a scary one, isn't it? This guy hears Jesus. He just doesn't do anything about it. He's in the crowd, that is. That is, you'd find him at church. He'd be sitting there, and not not just daydreaming, he'd be listening to what Jesus says. He hears it, but then he ends up with an unchanged life, a life that ends in destruction. I think this has really sobered me up. The line Jesus is drawing is not around the church building, but in the church building. It's not between us and them out there. It's a warning to us in here, and if you're listening online. And so this morning, however tired we are, whatever's been happening this week or we're looking forward to next week, whatever's going on in our minds, this is a morning to to wake up and and listen. Really, every Sunday morning is, but to listen carefully and respond to Jesus, whether you've been in church for decades or you're just new and looking in. Jesus says it really matters what we do with what he says over the next half hour. Okay, hopefully that has got us listening. We'll come back to the, the builders later but let's let's start at the start and you'll see on the back of the outline there's a sorry on the back of the service sheet there's an outline if you want to follow through we've basically got two pictures to look at first one from verse 43 to 45 is a picture of trees and their fruit and then we'll come back to the builders so first off trees and their fruit and the, the point is fairly simple Jesus is saying you can tell someone's heart condition from their speech I almost brought a couple of pots from our garden to illustrate it because everything's growing at the moment, but I decided we'd be able to imagine if I just describe it. In our garden at the moment, there's a strawberry plant. And it's amazing, actually. It's actually producing strawberries for the first summer ever in the history of our family. Edible strawberries are coming out of the plant. Amazing. Only about three of them, but still. And then there's a weed which Grace planted in a pot, when, um, mostly to keep away from the strawberries, actually. Um, and, and from a distance, you can tell which is which, because there's red, beautiful strawberry fruit on the outside of one of them, and the other one, just a load of ugly, prickly, sharp leaves. And Jesus says it's the same with a person. You can tell what's going on inside. You can tell what kind of plant their heart is by what it produces. Specifically, what comes out of their mouth helps you tell. So verse 43, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruits. Brambles don't make strawberries. Verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Jesus' diagnosis of the human condition here, it's just profoundly true. Um, that, that, that language of the abundance of his heart, it's like the overflow of a heart. Um, imagine it like this. Imagine I'm holding two glasses of liquid and I'm walking along and I get bumped into. 
What comes out in the collision is what was already inside the cups. Does that make sense? So I've got one cup, it's full of water, like perfumed water, rose water or something, it's beautiful. You knock it and, well, it's a sweet-smelling mess. The other cup has filthy used oil in it. You knock it, well, a uh, stinking, filthy mess. Jesus says people are like that. What overflows out of our mouths is what's already in our hearts. The fruit in our mouths is a direct product of the kind of tree that's growing in here. I think it's really striking because so, so many in our culture, and I guess often so many of us, we try to minimize it when we're caught saying something wrong or unkind or mean or proud or, or selfish or deceitful or, or just cruel. We say when we're caught or challenged or we kind of wake, wake up to our senses, we say, oh, oof, how did I say that? I mean, that's not really me. I misspoke. I'm not normally like that. Sometimes we blame our circumstances. Sometimes we blame other people. Sometimes we blame the stress we're under or the examples we've seen in our families or the culture around us. But Jesus says they may be factors, they may have provided the heat, but the bad fruit comes from a bad heart. The only reason that's spilt out of my mouth is because it's what's in there. And yeah, the circumstances of life or other people may have bumped the cup, bumped into me, but what's spilt out is what's growing inside. That's the point. You can tell someone's heart condition from their speech. So far, so clear, hopefully. I think the slightly harder thing is to work out why Jesus is saying that point here at this moment in his sermon, and particularly how it ties in with last week. Just look at the start of verse 43. It begins with four as in this ties back to what we were looking at um, last time, the little heading, a tree and its fruit, that's been added by the English translation. So it just flows straight on from what we were looking at last time. Now he's just been talking about not being judgmental and hypocritical in our speech. He's been talking about not looking down on people and judging them as if they have all the problems and we have none. Just look at verse 41, for example. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or end of verse 42, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you'll be able to clearly take the speck that's in your brother's eye. Jesus has been encouraging us to be merciful, gracious, uh, not self-righteous with our speech. He says, my followers will not be characterized by judgmentalism, blind self-righteousness, but instead, gracious, forgiving speech. So you should be able to tell who is a Christian person because their heart will be producing that kind of speech. You can't sellotape strawberries on a weed. Well, you can, but they'll fall off pretty quick. Likewise, only a person who receives the full, gracious forgiveness of God in their hearts, only that kind of person who's been changed on the inside by God's mercy, or then can bear the kind of radical fruit that we've been seeing Jesus teaching, love for enemies, uh, graciousness to those who are sinning, 
Only a changed heart can produce that. The flip side is also true, though, in terms of the implications. If, the, if this is not evident in someone's life at all, someone may be coming to church, serving in all sorts of activities, ticking all the boxes in outward righteousness, but if their speech is never characterized by grace and mercy to people, instead it's self-righteous and judgmental, well, Jesus would say that there's a serious heart problem there. Good trees don't bear bad fruits. Now, the very practical example we've recently seen in Luke is the Pharisees. They thought they were fine. They thought that they were the righteous ones, ticking all the boxes. But just before this sermon, they were judging Jesus and his disciples. They were saying that they weren't hitting the mark. They weren't doing all the same practices of fasting and keeping the Sabbath the way they thought it should be. They had this officious, self-righteous, judgmental attitude, even to Jesus. He didn't live up to their standards. And he's saying, my followers should not be like that. Because my Father is merciful, gracious, kind. And of course, Jay reminded us last week that Jesus didn't just talk the talk when it came to being gracious to enemies. He walked the walk. He was the ultimate good tree, the pure heart. Whatever circumstances flew through at him, whether he was tired or hungry or offended or humiliated or attacked, he spoke with grace, kindness, mercy. He prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So clearly, the Pharisees are bad trees. Jesus is the good tree. But where does that leave us, like us sitting in this room? Well, firstly, let me say, if you're not yet a Christian, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, haven't asked for forgiveness and that, that heart change from the inside out, well, Jesus is saying it simply will not work to try and obey his commandments without having your heart changed. Sometimes people do that. They, they come to church or they bring children to church for a bit of moral fiber, to instill a bit of a moral compass, for kind of ethical education, uh, to, to keep them on the straight and narrow. And Jesus is saying, you can't sellotape strawberries on a weed. We need heart change. You can't have the right fruit without the right roots. Now, Luke's gospel has been building up to this point. Uh, before Jesus, John the Baptist came and he told people to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He told people to, to live God's way. But he also said the only help that John could give was to wash them with water. And that wouldn't be enough, just a water baptism. But he said the next person coming, Jesus who's coming, is bringing the Holy Spirit. That is someone who can wash us from the inside out, actually change our hearts. And that's why when someone actually becomes a Christian, starts um, trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior, often there is a really marked change in their behavior, often in their speech. As Jesus said a couple of weeks ago in chapter 5, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick spiritually, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
So if you are looking into Christian things, and if you were to do an audit of your speech over the last month, and you think, do you know what, I don't want to be speaking like that to those I love. Well, Jesus would say you need a new heart from him. But what about if we're already following Jesus? Those of us who are Christians, most of us in this room, already trusting Jesus, we, we have received this new heart, we have received the Holy Spirit. Well, what are we to make of this? Especially if we look back and think over the last few days, maybe a few hours for some of us, but last month, if we look across our speech and we do sometimes say things that are judgmental or unkind or graceless, even cruel, things that reveal self-righteousness. Have you spoken like that recently at all? Maybe exhausted and lonely from a year of COVID and it just comes tumbling out on someone? Or maybe under stress and pressure at work and we take it out on someone, sometimes those we love most? Maybe speaking behind someone's back when they're not there? Jesus said last week, sometimes we can have 20-20 vision when it comes to other people's faults and be quite blind to the log that's in our eyes. I find for me, sometimes it's only when I look back, sometimes look back a few days or sometimes even look back years on myself when I was younger and I remember some things I I said and think, how could I say that? What a self-righteous thing to say. How much that lacked grace in that situation. And to be honest, who of us, if we had a recording of everything we said in the last month, who of us wouldn't be ashamed have it played out loud to everyone. It's really sobering because Jesus says what's coming out of our mouths shows what's going on in our hearts. Jesus says if something's rotten coming out here, well, something's rotten on the inside. But just before we despair and think, okay, well, in that case, I'm a bad tree and what hope is in there? I thought I was a Christian, but I still have this stuff coming out of my mouth. Remember what we saw in Romans, we are works in progress. It's actually, the Christian life is a battle in our hearts. There is the good heart that produces good, gracious fruit, good, gracious speech, an overspill of merciful, loving, gracious kindness, and the ongoing battle with my sinful heart until Jesus takes us home. Actually, even realizing that, that I'm not the finished article, I'm still a work in progress, well, that should make me realize that I need mercy still. That makes sense as Christians. We need forgiveness ourselves, ongoing forgiveness. So, of course, we should be able to show kindness to others. As Jesus said, um, how can you say to your brother, uh, brother, let me take the speck that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. At this point in Luke, Jesus has chosen his team who are going to go out and spread the good news of Jesus. But he chose them just before the sermon in verses 12 to 16. But before they go out in chapter 9, he's got some real basics to get into their heads. And this is one of them. I'm not sending you out to the world as success stories with everything sorted. You don't have to pretend to be the righteous ones. No, you go out as sinners in need of grace, still helping sinners in need of grace. Jesus came to heal spiritually sick people, and that still includes us. 
to help sinners come to repentance, whether it's the first time or the hundredth time. Okay, that's the first point. Trees and their fruit. You can tell someone's heart condition from their speech. And I think that should humble us all. But then, with the builders and their foundation, Jesus steps back in verse 46 and, and delivers a kind of conclusion to everything he said. This is the kind of the, the, the um, final message for us as we come to the end of his sermon. As I said, right up front, it's a message of, of two builders. They have something in common. They've heard Jesus' words. You'd both find them in a Bible teaching church listening to this sermon. And there's only two differences between them. Let's just look at them. Firstly, first difference, verse 47, the difference is what happens after they hear Jesus speaking. So verse 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Then verse 49, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. There's the first difference. Both hear, but only one responds. Only one does what Jesus says, actually changes, builds their life on the words of Jesus. Striking that the second builder, I mean, they might have really enjoyed the sermon. They might have found it really interesting, engaging even. They might be loving coming along to church. But they do not change when Jesus speaks. Just plow on regardless. The first person thinks Jesus knows better than me, so I'm going to do what he says. The second person thinks they know better than Jesus. Okay, that's the first difference between the two people. The second difference is obviously the consequences of their choice. So verse 48, first man's like a man building his house, dug deep, laid a foundation on the rock, and when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. I don't know if you've seen the pictures in the news this week of the floods in Europe. I mean, it's shocking, the, the power of water to decimate a village. And Jesus is picking up that image, a river breaking its banks. Commentators debate, is this flood, is it talking about difficult circumstances in life? kind of flooding in, going through life's difficulties? Or is it the final judgment day, the flood of God's judgment in the end? I actually genuinely think it's both here. The Psalms use flood imagery for both those things, kind of being overwhelmed by difficulties in life and the final day when God um, holds people accountable for everything they've said and done. And Jesus' point is, you are secure both in this life and in eternity if you build your life on my words. Rock, solid, secure. Whereas the person who comes to church every Sunday, listens to what Jesus says and never changes, that person's life will collapse, either here in this world or when final judgment calls. That is the warning. And I said before, I, I honestly can't think of a more relevant warning to, to a bunch of people sitting around listening to Jesus' words in the Bible. 
was actually struck by it myself. I mean, I, I, I do so much talking about Jesus' words, so much teaching people, preaching and Bible studies and all sorts of ways I'm, I'm exposed to Jesus' words, but am I taking them to heart? Are they actually changing me? Am I responding to his call? Am I keeping repenting, trusting him? Yesterday we were at the beach. Um, Seacliff, amazing beach, by the way, if you've not been, amazing. And uh, it's really striking because when you look out, there's a rock with a lighthouse that's been kind of hewn into it. It must have taken ages. It must have been so hard to build. There's a lighthouse there, big rock. And then there's the beach with lots and lots of children building sandcastles. And they are built much quicker. I mean, they spring up immediately. Some of them multiple sandcastles, amazing. But I can tell you which one stands when the tide comes in. Jesus says that is the picture of two lives. One life built on the beach, easy to throw up, but collapses in the end. Now, it'd be great to keep reflecting on this. Um, I think it would be a good thing to talk about together, a good thing to, to pray about personally. Um, I've got a few questions to just begin um, helping us reflect on this uh, on, the, on the notice sheet. Um, I'll, just, I'll start the ball rolling and hopefully we can go and talk about it over lunch and through the week and things. But um, just a few questions about how we avoid doing what Jesus says. Jesus says you need to do what I say, not just listen. And, and I want to ask a few questions about what goes on when we don't. So first off, how do we sometimes avoid doing what Jesus says? How does it actually happen? Um, just very practically, I think often just through distraction. So as soon as the Bible's closed, sometimes before the Bible's closed <laughs> while I'm talking, um, sometimes our minds are just onto something else, just thinking about something else. It might be the, the busyness of life, the, the work to-do list. It might be the trivialities of life. What, what am I going to have for lunch? What are we going to do for the afternoon? might be um, distraction about entertainment or sport that we're, we're keen to get back to and it's starting to dominate our thinking. I've got to get to the box set. Oh, I wonder what's going to happen in the match. Distraction can mean I don't, don't absorb what Jesus says long enough to be changed by it, respond by it. But actually, it's not just distraction from things out there in church. Sometimes things in church can distract us. Have you ever had this? that Actually, you end up over Sunday lunch talking about the preacher, not the passage. Ever had that? Um, sometimes joke it could be roast preacher for Sunday lunch but actually the flip side is true as well it can be toast preacher as in what a brilliant talk what a great preacher what, what lovely illustrations what great gifts and actually all the time we're talking about the human being standing up and not the words of Jesus that we need to respond to I think that's a real risk putting the spotlight on the human being another risk I think is, is um, sidestepping my response to Jesus' words by thinking how someone else should respond to them. Have you ever had that? Oh, this is a great talk for that person to hear. Oh, I hope they're here. I hope they're listening. I hope they tune in because they really need to hear this. That can be a danger. Now, it's not that it's wrong. It's good for us to, to encourage each other and exhort each other. Um, but Jesus said, before we do the speck in someone else's eye, let's deal with the log in our own eye. So we can be distracted by the preacher, we can be distracted by other people sitting around that we're thinking they need to hear this. Um, I think also we, we, can, um, we, can, we can be actually distracted by other bits of the Bible. This is a subtle one, but in a church like Chalmers, there's lots of Bible coming at us. There's Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Tuesday evenings at the moment, and lots of us are reading the Bible in our quiet times. And one of the, one of the subtlest ways to sidestep actually doing what Jesus says from a passage is just to wait 
until the next bit of Bible comes along, which might be more comfortable. Sometimes people might not come to a Bible study the week where it's a challenging passage. I know for Romans 9, some of us found that it's a challenging passage there to see how big God is. And there might be other passages as we go through Luke where it's actually quite hard what Jesus tells us in how to follow him. And we can be tempted just to think, well, I'll put that one on the back burner and listen to something that's a bit more comfortable later in the week. Okay, there's lots more we could say, but time is, is running away. So that's how we avoid sometimes doing what Jesus says. What about why we avoid doing what Jesus says? So why do we avoid this? I think sometimes there can be that blindness that we're blind to need to change. Um, but, but actually, I think more common is that we avoid doing what Jesus says because fundamentally we struggle to believe it's good for us. Really, really, truly good for us. We might not say that out loud, but the evidence in life suggests we can think our view of how to do life is better than his, that that Jesus doesn't really have our best interests at heart. Strange that, isn't it? Because, I mean, he's the most qualified to know how to do life, and he's the most loving. Like, of course he wants our best interests. He's proven how kind he is to his people. So why do we resist Well, very simply, the the path of following Jesus can be hard. Actually, that's even clear in the pictures of the two builders. Did you notice that? That that, um, the first builder has to dig deep and lay a foundation on the rock. I can tell you, looking at that lighthouse off the coast of Seacliff Beach, it must have been hard building that on the rock. Easy to throw something up on the sand with no foundation. The second guy had the easier task. I think he may have looked at the, the, the first guy and thought, oh, pity him, putting so much effort in. Wow, what a fool. Actually, in the end, he'd be the fool. Jesus started the sermon like that. He said that his disciples are blessed, but will have a hard time. Verse 20 onwards, uh, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry. Even blessed, verse 22, when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of Jesus, the Son of Man. See, Jesus says, following him and his words will actually be tough sometimes in this life. It will meet resistance. And I think lots of us see the cost and we think, oh, is there any chance I could just follow you in name only, Jesus? I don't actually want to walk that path. But Jesus says it's more costly to ignore his words, to not join him on the path. Over the last few years, a number of people have become Christians in Chalmers and they've had to weigh up this cost. What are my family going to think of me? None of them are Christians. What are my friends going to think of some of my views from the Bible now that they've changed? There is a cost to it. But Jesus says, it's not actually a question of cost with Jesus and no cost if you ignore Jesus, rather it's cost in this life versus eternal cost. When the storms come, will you be secure or not? And so just before I sit down, I do just want to appeal very directly. If there is anyone here who has never trusted in Jesus, you've never actually turned and trusted him for forgiveness and heart change, well, Jesus issues this warning directly to you and says... You need to build your life on my words. Not just listen in. It's great you're listening. It's great you're hearing what he says. But not just listening in. 
we must turn as he calls us to trust him, to live with him as king. Only that keeps us safe in the storms of life and final judgment. Let me say a prayer as we close. Living Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much for the clarity of your teaching here and your warning here. We thank you that you came to provide forgiveness and we acknowledge we need it. None of us speaks as we should. None of us have hearts that are pure and good. And we thank you that you have invited us to turn and trust you, to live your way in full forgiveness and help of the Holy Spirit. And we pray for anyone here who's not done that, that you would help them to. And we pray for each of us that you would keep us being characterized by obedience to your words and gracious, merciful kindness to others. In Jesus' name, amen.